Well, the turkeys are going into the oven this afternoon if they're not already there. And we'll be eating them tonight along with all the trimmings at our annual Thanksgiving dinner. And chances are pretty good you'll be eating turkey or ham and pumpkin pie again this Thursday. Since we've seen Black Friday specials for a couple of weeks already, I'm not sure if anyone still gets up early to go Christmas shopping on the Friday after Thanksgiving, but as I noted, we are planning to decorate the church for Christmas next Sunday evening. How did the holidays get here so quickly? Surely it has nothing to do with growing older and each year becoming a much smaller percentage of our time on earth. But however they got here, they're here. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's will all be here before we know it. Thanksgiving comes first, and that's a good thing. Because without Thanksgiving, Christmas can easily become more about getting than giving, and the prospects of a new year can overshadow God's blessings of the previous year. Indeed, nothing ruins the holidays more than a spirit of ingratitude. Now, nothing takes the joy out of giving quicker than ingratitude, and nothing takes the joy of receiving more than a spirit of entitlement, believing that we deserve everything that's given to us. And while you may not realize it, ingratitude is sinful. Ignatius, one of the early church fathers who was a disciple of the Apostle John, said ingratitude was the cause, the beginning, and the origin of all evils and sins. And that understanding didn't come just from John. In the first chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul listed numerous sins, including wickedness, greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, slander, insolence, and arrogance. He did so after noting the degrading passions and indecent acts of those who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and the foundational sin of all those sins may very well be something he mentioned in verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. When listing the sins of the last day, Paul told Timothy, but realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. In the midst of obvious sinful behaviors, 
Paul mentions something we probably wouldn't have listed as a sin. Being ungrateful. Ingratitude is sinful. And it not only leads to further sin, it can ruin everything we celebrate during the holiday season. However, there is something even worse than the sin of ingratitude, and it is the ingratitude of sin. The sin of ingratitude affects all of our relationships, but sin in and of itself expresses ingratitude that is focused directly at God. Willful, continual, Intentional sin shows nothing less than crass ingratitude for all God has done. And as John makes clear in our text for today, sin in the life of the believer disregards the law, invalidates the cross, and ignores the Christ. John begins. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, back in the first chapter, John said, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But he then went on to say that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, John recognized that Christians do sin. We fail. We slip. We fall short. We must not, however, practice sin. And there is a big difference. To practice sin is to make it a regular, acceptable part of our life. It's to accept the attitude that everybody sins. So why fight it? After all, we are only human. We can't do that. We cannot allow sin to characterize our life. And the first reason we can't is that sin is lawlessness. It shows utter disregard for the law. It is true that we don't live under the law anymore. We are not judged on the basis of compliance to laws engraved on stone. You know, we live under the law of Christ, the constraints of his love. But the Old Testament law was actually a beautiful expression of God's love for us. You may not have seen it that way before. God wants us to have a close relationship with him. So he told us to have no other gods before him. He knew that if we created gods of our own, we would walk away from him and end up with gods that could neither see nor hear. God also wants us to enter into healthy personal relationships. So he told us to honor our father and mother. He knew that a good family relationship would prepare us for life and would teach us how to live together in community with others. 
And then to make sure that we understood what would destroy our sense of community, he told us exactly what would destroy it. Murder, adultery, stealing, lying, coveting. They all kill personal relationships. Now, this is not to suggest that the Ten Commandments were merely ten helpful suggestions. God gave them to us as laws that had to be obeyed. We cannot have a relationship with him or good relationships with each other without obeying them. And to willfully disobey God's law is sinful. It is, in fact, lawlessness. And living lawlessly not only shows utter disregard for the law, it ignores God's intent in giving the law. It says, in effect, that we don't care why he gave us the law or what he wants us to do. We're going to do whatever we want. We don't care that he created us and that everything we have comes from his gracious hand, that he loves us and has set boundaries that will keep us safe and enable us to enjoy the life he desires for us. To live lawlessly demonstrates ingratitude of the highest order. How would you feel if your child, to whom you had given life and provided every need and most desires, totally dismissed your loving intentions and completely disregarded your will. You would be crushed by their ingratitude. And so is God when we disregard his expressed will for us. You may not have thought of sin and lawlessness as an expression of ingratitude, but it is. It is. And the ingratitude of sin goes even deeper. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. You know, God not only expressed his love for us by giving us laws to live by, he expressed it by taking on flesh and living among us. He left the glories of heaven to walk with us for a time on earth. And then he expressed his love for us in the greatest way possible. He died for us. And he did so not only to express his love for us, but to pay for our sins. The penalty for sin has always been death. In the Old Testament, God made that very clear by demanding the sacrifice of innocent animals. But he also made it clear that the death of animals could never atone for sin. So he paid the penalty for our sins himself through the death of his son. However, Jesus did not die on the cross to just take away the penalty of sin. He not only went to the cross to take away the consequences of sin, he went to the cross to take away 
sins, to break the bondage of sin, to free us from sin, to enable us to live lives above sin, to then settle into a life characterized by sin is to invalidate the cross, to make null and void what Christ came to do, to make his sacrifice of no avail. The writer of Hebrews had quite a bit to say about intentional, willful sin and what it does to the cross of Christ. In the sixth chapter, he said to turn our back on Christ and to return to a life of sin is to again crucify Christ and to put him to open shame. And in Hebrews 10, he wrote, For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Christ came to take away sin. And for a believer to accept sin as a regular part of his life is to spit on the cross. And God won't take such ingratitude lightly. Not only does the ingratitude of sin ignore what Christ did for us, it totally ignores him. John continues, No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now the tense of sins indicates continual action. John isn't saying that we'll never slip or fall short, but he is saying that no one who abides in Christ will continually sin, will allow sin to become a regular, acceptable part of their life. It's impossible for someone to abide in Christ in whom there is no sin and then live a life of sin. It cannot be done. But what does it mean to abide in Christ? Without getting too theological, it simply means to live with him. It means to go through life consciously aware of his presence and to rely on him. So how can anyone consciously acknowledge his presence, sense him with them, and still 
practice sin. You know, if Christ were here in the flesh, sitting next to you, talking to you, could you actively involve yourself in sinful activity? I don't think so. I don't think so. To do so, you would have to completely ignore him, which would be impossible to do if he were here in the flesh. But he's not here in the flesh. He's no longer physically present with us. But whether we see him or not, he is here. He has ascended into an invisible realm that while generally unseen, does coexist with our visible realm. He's here. And if we're Christians, we invited him to take up residence spiritually in our hearts. We asked him to abide with us, to actually live within us. We told him we want him involved in every aspect of our life. To then sin in his presence is to close our eyes to his presence and pretend we don't know him. And doing so shows a complete lack of respect for him and absolute ingratitude for all he's done. No one likes to be ignored. If you've made a sacrifice for someone and they completely ignored you, you'd be crushed. That's how Christ feels when we ignore him by sinning in his presence, by consciously and willingly doing what we know breaks his heart. The next time you're tempted to sin, and you know what sinful behavior is, don't kid yourself. The next time you're tempted to sin, to do anything you know would displease the Lord, think about it. Do you really want to disregard the law and show no gratitude or respect for the God who made you and who loves you? Do you really want to invalidate Christ's work on the cross to re-crucify Christ and trample underfoot the Son of God? Do you really want to ignore the one who died for you and who is living within you? Do you really want to shut him out of your life? That's what we are doing when we willingly enter into a life of sin. When we consciously and willingly choose to disobey. Surely, we can't be that ungrateful for all he's done for us. Let's not get so self-absorbed this holiday season, this holy season, 
that we fail to show gratitude to the giver of every good and perfect gift. Let's commit ourselves to living lives of obedience that express our love for God and our gratitude for the guidance he has given. Let's show our gratitude for what Christ did for us on the cross by striving to live sinless lives. And let's show our gratitude for his willingness to not only walk with us through life, but to actually take up residence in our hearts by living lives that demonstrate his presence within everywhere we go and in everything we do. I read a quote this week from a teacher of theology at a Jesuit high school that sums it up pretty well. Perhaps God doesn't necessarily want us to be saying thank you so much as to be noticing how much we are loved and cared for by him and, in turn, to respond by living a life of gratitude. Amen? Come, ye thankful people.